Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Montrose Church, how are you? Doing all right? Man, it's been fun in here. A lot of young people, a lot of energy. We're going to keep that rolling, right? Right? Hey, um, Pastor Dave is not here. He's on his way to Africa with, uh, I think it's five other of our congregants here, so we're thinking and praying for them. It's a long trip. He was telling me it's four plane rides. Um, and the last one's a, just a, a short trip, you know, but I was like, ah, I'm not a, if it's more than two hours, I'm struggling, you know, so we're thinking and praying for them. Um, we're going to be continuing our active listening series. It's been a lot of fun. It's been challenging because we all have some room for growth in the listening department, don't we? Um, and so I'm going to recap a little bit here. And, and Pastor Dave's been calling these the golden rules of active listening. So here they are. The first one is the foundational truth. This uh, is essential before more, moving forward with listening. And that is that God listens to you. God listens to us. The creator of the universe is not a far, distant, aloof God, but he's close. And he listens to his people. And that, before we move anywhere in listening, we have to understand that. God listens to us. The second one is the core commitment. Because God listens to us and we are relational people, we have to commit to being better listeners. Listening well doesn't just happen, so we have to commit to listen to God and to listen to each other. And we struggle with that at times, don't we? Uh, The third one is confirmation bias. We have to admit, have some humility, that we have some blind spots. Our brain does a good job of filtering out, handling all kinds of information, right? We struggle with listening what we don't agree with and all those kind of things. But in the body of Christ, we have to have humility because we do have some blind spots. Uh, The fourth is the mercy rule. We need to be a people of mercy. Why? Because God is merciful to us. He is. And so we have to respond to his mercy and grace by being a merciful people. Uh, The fifth, last week, Pastor Dave talked about the training regimen. He talked about habits, some good habits, some bad habits. And we need to be careful about our habits and how they're shaping us. And to be better listeners and followers of Jesus, we need to lead into the good habits and maybe cut off some bad habits. Uh, This morning's part six is the motivation. The motivation. If God granted you one wish, what would you choose? Could be anything. One wish. Maybe it'd be perfect health. That'd be nice. Maybe it'd be um, a big house in the hills with a sweet basketball court and a pool, right? That'd be sweet. I know some of my high school kids love cars. Maybe you'd ask God for a car. Um, or maybe, maybe a little more impactful, right? Maybe you choose to end world hunger. That'd be amazing, right? Or um, end all violence, right? For world peace. I think as a community, we're tired of so much violence, aren't we? So that would be, that would be huge. So but think about that for a second. I want you to think about that. One wish. All you had to do was make your request known to God, and boom, it would happen. Now, this actually happened to someone in Scripture. His name is Solomon. Uh, Solomon was the third king of Israel. He reigned for about 40 years. Solomon is often regarded as the wealthiest and wisest person to ever 
live. We're talking Jeff Bezos-type wealth in the ancient world. Crazy. More money and prestige and power than most of us could dream of. When Solomon, a little earlier in his journey, is given one wish from God, one wish. I'm going to read this story here, and I think it'll connect well as we've been going through the the book of James um, during this listening series. I think it'll help us with our James text for this morning. So this is 1 Kings 3, 4 through 13. It'll be on the screen. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this greatness, this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that you will... So there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. It's a cool little story. Uh, Solomon is granted one wish, and he asks for a discerning heart. And God is pleased. It's like, Solomon, you got the right answer. So I'm going to give you a discerning heart, and I'm also going to give you all the things you didn't ask for, wealth and honor. Now, I start with that little, that little story of Solomon, and we talk about Solomon's wisdom a lot, right? Some people translate that part, a discerning heart to wisdom, and that's uh, connected there. The Hebrew literally means a listening heart. Solomon asks God for a heart that listens. Of all the things he could have asked for, right? I don't know about you, but I probably wouldn't have picked a discerning heart. But he asked for a discerning heart, a heart that listens. So Solomon became the greatest listener of all time. And church, my prayer throughout this series is that we too would have hearts that listen. We would ask God continually to have listening hearts so that we could be a community who loves and listens well to each other. Now our James text for this morning connects well with Solomon's request in 1 Kings because James is going to talk about what's underneath our motivations. And when we think about that question, if God could grant us one wish, our answer might say some stuff about what's underneath. For Solomon, it did. It showed us his great humility and and, and, and seeking justice, right? So let's jump into our James text, James 3, 13 through 18, um, if you have a Bible. And if you don't, no worries, because it will be on the screen. James 3. 13 through 18. Here we go. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. 
For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So this text from James is all about the heart, all about our motives. Why do we do what we do? Why do we act the way we act? Why do we say the things we say? What's underneath? Church, what motivates us? What motivates you? Why do you get out of bed in the morning? What's your motivation for going to school, for going to work, maybe going somewhere and enjoying your hobbies? What's the motivation? Motivation is defined as the reason or reasons one has for acting or behaving in a particular way. So I just want us to slow down for a second. As Pastor Dave so often says, think about our thinking. Why do we do the things we do? Why do I do those things? Why do I go to the gym and exercise? Or why don't I? I don't know. Why am I generous? Or why am I not generous? Why do I go to school? Why do I go to church? Or why don't I? Why am I quick to get angry? Why do I sometimes talk badly about others behind their back? Why do I struggle with loving others? And the big one for this series is why do I struggle sometimes listening to others? Listening to older people or listening to younger people? Why do I struggle with listening? Now, this is just a list, right? Some good, some bad. But what I'm trying to get at is there are reasons. There's motives if we dig and we reflect. Now, of course, sometimes we just go with the flow. We do. But underneath, there's motives. And that's what we're after this morning, is reflecting on the motivation. Where are our hearts at? James breaks it down in the text. The first point he makes is earthly wisdom. Verse 14 through 16, but if you harbor bitter envy or selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. James says, underneath for so many of us is bitter envy and selfish ambition. And if we reflect how much of that is underneath and in our hearts, maybe a lot, maybe just a little. Bitter envy, uh, bitter in the Greek here literally describes a water that is undrinkable. So think about a, a water that contaminates all around it. It's a destructive type of viewing others. One commentator writes, bitter envy takes jealousy to the next step by adding resentment and anger, and from it emerges words that stab, cut, tear down, refute, and diminish. We use this to reduce the stature of another so we may stand taller. What is behind our actions? Is there bitterness? Is there envy? And when we're thinking about kind of that water example, right? Bitter water, water that contaminates. This is not what Christ desires. What Christ desires is what he says in John 7:38. Those who believe in me will have living waters flow from them. Not bitter water, but living water, so that we would be a people when we engage in conversation with different people, all kinds of people, that living water would flow from those interactions. Not bitter water, but living water. The other thing that James lists is selfish ambition. And he talks about good deeds done out of humility in verse 13, and he contrasts that with selfish ambition. The phrase here can be rendered literally, you have rivalry in your hearts. 
I don't have time for others. Why? Because I'm focused on me, because I'm the man, I'm the woman, I'm a boss, right? I'm trying to elevate myself. I don't have time for others. Now let's connect this back with listening. Uh, you know those people, right, when you're in conversations with them, or maybe you're in a group setting and, and everybody's talking, right? There's one person sometimes who always brings the whole conversation back to themselves. You know what I'm talking about? It doesn't elevate others. Bitter envy and selfish ambition. So James talks about how that's the earthly wisdom, and he gives some harsh words for what it is, demonic, unspiritual. And it's poison, church. It's poison. How many friendships, families, and churches have been destroyed because the motivation behind actions taken was there some bitter envy or selfish ambition? How many amazing churches across the world have been destroyed because a pastor or, a, or someone in the congregation thought the church was all about them and they forgot the church is actually all about God? It's all about God. I have a pastor friend who says weekly church is important for a lot of reasons, but one of those reasons is to be reminded that we're not the center of the universe. Week after week, you would show up. Because throughout the week, we're kind of, you know, I mean, we're, we're told that we are the center of the universe a little bit, you know? But week after week, we would, we would gather and be reminded we're not the center of the universe. But we're here to worship the one who is. So church, can we be reflective? What are our motives? Is there any bitter envy or selfish ambition? And there might be a little. So can we ask God to take it away, just like David said, God, search me. Search my heart. Search my motives. Search the reasons for why I do what I do, because I want your heart. I want the heavenly wisdom. And that's point number two, heavenly wisdom. And I like how James leads with the, the bad first. You know, it's like the whole thing, do you, wanna, you want the good news first or the bad news first? James is like, all right, I'm going to give you the bad news, and then I'm going to give you the good news, right? Here's the good news. The good wisdom, the motivation that Christ desires from his people. Wisdom from heaven is pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. It's a good list. It's a really good list. He starts with pure. Are our ways pure? When we listen to others, is there pure motives behind it? Matthew 5, 8 says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Have you seen God lately in your life, church? Have you seen his fingerprints, his movements? How's your heart been? How's your heart been? Then he says, peace-loving. Peace-loving. Are we a culture who loves peace? Right? I think we're tired of violence, for sure. Maranatha, right? God, come quickly. We need you. We're tired of all the violence and brokenness. But what's difficult about it is we're a culture who likes violence a little too, bit too much, too. So my prayer is that we are ambassadors of Christ's peace, his shalom. Then consider it submissive, full of mercy. Full of mercy, just like Pastor Dave preached a couple weeks ago. Because God has shown us so much amazing grace and mercy, can we be a people who are merciful? Good fruit. Do you see good fruit in your life? There's some good fruit? Yes, no, sometimes. How's your motives? How's your heart? How's the real stuff underneath that people don't see? 
impartial, and the last one James lists is sincere. It's a good list. It's challenging, but good. And for James, all this connects to, to what we've been going through, the first part of James, slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to become angry. And sometimes we struggle with those things. Sometimes we do get angry. So James is saying, check our hearts. Check our motives. Selfish ambition, bitter envy. Our motives need a touch from Jesus this morning, church. And my prayer is that just like Solomon, we desire a listening heart. Hearts that listen. Not all the craziness that the world can give, but a heart that listens. Just like Jesus. Okay, now it's promotion Sunday, right? We celebrated the young people moving up a grade. I think everybody made it. Good job. Um, and, and shout out to college graduates and, uh, you know, higher education degrees and all those things too. I don't know if Austin, you said something about them, but we celebrate those people too, right? We don't forget about you. So great job with those things. So point number three is listening across generations. Listening across generations. If you know me, you know I'm in ministry because of young people of young people, because I'm convinced that God wants to use young people right now, not someday, but right now, wherever they're at. I think he has a lot of things for them to do right now. And the reason I think that so strongly is because when I was at the end of my junior year of high school, at this moment where I was praying and I kind of felt the Holy Spirit tap on my shoulder a little bit, and it was this moment of conviction. Uh, God was kind of telling me, uh, Colt, you, you missed it. You've missed it these last three years. I've given you some gifts and some talents and a platform with sports and different things, and you haven't used any of it for me. You haven't loved people the way you should. You haven't shown Christ the way you should. It was convicting. Um, But my senior year of high school looked a lot different than the rest of my years because I tried to walk around with a Jesus lens in viewing others. Because in high school and in middle school, and I mean really all the time, but, but those places, there's broken and hurting people who need young people right now. They don't need to someday you. They need you right now to step in and love them. So I'm convinced that God has things for young people to do. They have influence and reach. So I encourage them to use it for Jesus. Another reason I'm in ministry and and connected to that is because of the statistic that says 70% of young people will leave the church after graduation. After high school graduation, 70% of committed it's committed. It's not, even, it's not even students or young people that show up once every few months, right? It's committed young people. 70% of them will walk away from the church and their relationship with Jesus after high school. Uh, and Fuller Youth Institute did that study, and there's been some other studies done, uh, Barna and some other ones. But the number, the number hovers right around 70%, right? But church, that breaks my heart. I want to destroy that statistic. And I pray that we're a church who destroys that statistic, Right? Um, and I've heard some people say in youth circles, you know, it's, it's okay. It's okay for them to leave it all and, and figure it all out and wander and go do that thing. They got, they got to do those things. And I'm like, what? I, I understand that, that young people need to make their faith their own, right? And ask big questions and wrestle. But I'm just convinced that happens best, surrounded by a flawed but compassionate, loving community called the body of Christ. That's what I'm convinced of. In, in 18 to 30, 30-ish, you make decisions that will affect the trajectory of your life. You will. And I believe strongly that those decisions are made best when you're surrounded by a community who loves you and is seeking Jesus. 
And there's multiple theories to help drop the statistics of young people leaving the church. One of them you probably heard before. We, we talk about it sometimes. If young people have five adults beside their parents, besides their parents, who are walking alongside them, loving them, encouraging them, and check this one out, listening to them, that statistic drops dramatically. Listening well to young people can be a reason they stay committed to Christ and his church. Did you know that? Do we listen well to young people? Do I listen well to young people? And if not, why not? If you talk with some people about uh, kind of Gen Z and the younger generations, you might hear that they are lazy, entitled, impatient, addicted to their phones, right? And, and not all that's false, right? Not all that's false. But what you'll rarely hear about the younger generations is how creative, courageous, compassionate, and resourceful they are. So we need to rethink how we view young people with a Christ-like lens. And for that Christ-like lens, I'm convinced that it means leading with empathy, listening with empathy. How do we listen across generations? We lead with empathy. Growing Young, a great book about intergenerational churches, describes empathy as sitting on the curb of a young person's life, celebrating their dreams and grieving over their despair. My prayer, church, is that we are a church, a community that listens to young people well, that asks questions encourages and listens that young people would walk into this sanctuary and maybe you don't know them right they don't know you but you would just encourage them hey it's so good to see you i'm so glad you're here young people are not the church of tomorrow they're the church of today Uh, young people will mirror the empathy they experience and you know this when you go into a place a safe place where people are warm and inviting you want to come back And then you want to start to be a part of it. We mirror the empathy we experience. Here's a story from uh, that book, Growing Young, about a mom and her boy. One vivid example of how young people mirror the empathy they experience is Bennett. As nine-year-old Bennett and his single mom, Vera, were looking for a church home six years ago, Vera had one major criterion, that the congregation be a safe place for her son with special needs. When she asked the children's ministry leaders at one of the churches in our study, will you take care of my unusual child? Their response was, absolutely. You tell us what we need to do. Please give us feedback on how we're doing. Vera and Bennett were hooked and have been active members of the congregation ever since. Vera recounted a memory of picking up nine-year-old Bennett from the children's ministry at the end of a worship service six years ago. Here's what this church means to me and Bennett. I have a scene playing in my head. I'm picking up my son and I see an adult bent down on his level, focused on what my son is saying. He puts his hand on my son's shoulder, nods his head, and says something I can't hear. Both smile and my son nods his head back. At school, Bennett never feels that understood and secure. In a world that often doesn't take the time to talk to Bennett, such empathy was a magnet for both Bennett and his mom. And Vera continued, now my son is 15, this church is his home, and he's been invited to help serve in the kindergarten class, something I never thought possible. A few months ago, as I again picked him up after worship, he was bent over listening to a seven-year-old boy. Bennett was nodding his head. I moved close enough to hear what Bennett said as he put his hand on the boy's shoulder. I understand. I felt that way before, too. Bennett never could have said that if he hadn't felt like this church had understood him. He's modeling the empathy that he had experienced. 
I love that story. Leading with empathy. Listening and loving young people because Christ listens and loves young people. And they belong here. Now, young people, don't try to get out of this. I'm talking to you now, okay? <laughs> All right? Um, young people, we have to be careful of our independence and thinking that we can do all this on our own because we can't. Uh, many young people I know in high school and, and some young adults and just throughout the community, they're lonely. They need people. And there's this constant tug of war of, of, uh, of I'm independent, my autonomy, but then I don't have anyone right. Elderly people have so much to give to my generation and younger generations. So many stories and situations of the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Older generations who have had relational struggles, job struggles, purpose struggles, maybe something young people that you're going through right now. They've gone through those things and want to offer loving advice, some thoughts, and walk alongside you. But young people have to be willing to listen. And yes, the world is different. Right? Social media is crazy, but older generations have so much to give to younger generations. Young people, we have to be willing to open up, to seek out a mentor, to someone who will listen, because there's people who will. I know some of these older people in here. They'll walk alongside you. They'll love you. They'll point you to Jesus. Gordon Smith, author and professor, says this, we're not alone. Or better put, we don't need to be alone and we are not meant to be alone, particularly when it comes to our attempts to make sense of God's presence in our lives. There's a certain irony here. The more mature we are in faith, the more we recognize our need for others, companions, friends, pastors, and older, wiser people who have walked this journey for many years. Young people, you aren't alone. You aren't alone. There's older, wiser people who have gone through all kinds of things who want to walk alongside you and love you and point you to Jesus. Uh, so church, what we're after this morning is a listening heart. That just like Solomon, we would continually ask God, God, give me a heart that listens. And it can be hard sometimes. But give me humility and mercy. And I know I have some blind spots, but give me a heart that listens because a church that listens well to each other across all generations is a church that will do amazing things in their community. It'll be a church that reaches people that no other churches could. Because we have 75-year-olds talking to 12-year-olds, right? And all the, other, all the other things. God, give us hearts that listen. Okay, let's pray. God, thanks for this, uh, this service this little sermon. Uh, I pray that we'd be a church who listens well and have hearts that listen. And God, can we reflect and think about our motivation, our motivations, our reasons, what's underneath? And if there's any selfish ambition or bitter envy, God, would you take it away? Would your spirit touch our motives? Give us Christ-like motives and reasons for doing the things that we do. God, help us be a church that listens across all generations, a church that's willing to open up to each other, share life together, walk through good moments and tough moments. 
God, we love you so much. Thanks for this time. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen and amen. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.